Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hello there. How are you? Very good. How are you? Very well. Dave Vale calling. Greg Hemmings is with me. We were going to have you on, or we have you on, The Boiling Point. Are you ready to rock and roll? Oh, I'm ready. (laughs) Hey, Michael. Nice to meet you, man. where, Where are you guys located? We are in sunny New Brunswick, Canada. You know, my wife's going up there for a week this uh, summer. She's a college counselor, and she goes on tours of different places. And uh, where's she gonna going to be? Well, I don't, I don't, exa- I don't exactly know. Um, well, she- you know, they take her to you know Halifax, obviously, but although that's not New Brunswick, is it? It's pretty close, uh, though. It's pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> but she may hit that. That area, uh, I, I don't even know. You don't know. Um, yeah, I've been I've been to your part of the world once. Well, you got to come back, man. It's great. It's wonderful. Yeah. Are you guys together? We are physically or not? Yeah, we, we are together spiritually. We're together in the same room. Uh, I, I don't know. We're definitely not together on uh, on our our major. Uh, you know, pastimes and free times because he's a big hockey right. player and I'm not, and he he reminds me of it on a daily basis. And uh, Greg's, yeah, so. Greg's, Greg's the musician and all the great things. And we and and right. and listen and you, but we're we're here to talk about you and we've, we. And by the way, this is very free flow, as you can tell. We've just kind of kicked things off, and 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 everything takes a life of its own. Um, you come. Uh, massively uh, and very incredibly highly recommended by uh, Kim Houlihan, who's a dear friend of ours, who has helped us along the way. And she sings your praises. And I've been hearing about you, Michael, for a number of years now. So it is very cool to have you on our podcast and learn more about you and uh, Blue Penguin Development. So maybe if it's okay, we can throw it to you just to give us a little intro because I have a feeling that would be a lot better than one of us trying to, to introduce you to our get, or to our listeners. Sure. So would you like to know Everything. who I am and what do I do? Sure. Whatever <laughs> you're um, comfortable sharing. Well, 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 and and, and before right. the, the, the context of that is this one quote from you that says, I'm particularly thrilled by bad content that needs fixing. I know it's oh. weird. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a perfect setup. Okay, over to you, Michael. All right. Well, um, I never expected to work for myself. Um, I had a job until I was 40, and I was on a very uh, conventional path. There's no entrepreneurial anything in my family. My my dad literally worked for the same company in the same building his entire career. Um, I have two older brothers. One is a tenured college professor, and the other is a partner in a law firm. So, like, we're not risk-taking people career-wise or in any way. And I was on the same path. I went to school, went to business school. Um, the last job I had, I was there for 12 years. But combination of things, the Internet was happening. This is the late 90s. Um, I kind of reached the point of mi- in middle management in my career where, you know, I was good enough to, like, not get fired or anything. But uh, I definitely had sort of peaked. <laughs> um, and, and I wasn't particularly particularly good at what I was doing. I had this feeling I wasn't really sort of firing on all cylinders. So in 2000, 
uh, my company was being purchased, which was a good opportunity for opportunity for me to leave. Um, and so I went off, and my plan initially was to build websites because that was the big thing then, um, and that was kind of okay, but um, not great. Was not doing well. I wanted to work solo, and I'm not technical, so that immediately had some problems. Um, and amazingly, I had no no idea where I was going to get clients. It didn't even occur to me. Um, but through a number of mistakes and things, I stumbled into the idea of email newsletters because I like writing, mm-hmm. and, and um, email was you know just starting out. Uh, in fact, the biggest objection I'd hear from potential clients was that not enough of their clients had email <laughs> back in 2000. Um, and then so I did that email, and that really sort of took off. It was a good combination of, of some technical stuff, but also writing um, just fit well for me. And and did that very much steadily and not exclusively, but certainly my main thing for about 10 years. And then maybe five years ago, I, I had people sort of wanting help being solos themselves because I had been doing it myself for a while. And that's when I started doing webinars and courses and, uh, you know, writing things more towards solos and things like that. But my real skill and getting back to um, the thing on my website you mentioned, my my only skill, frankly, is writing. And um, I really do more than anything like writing stuff that's been done badly. And it took me a while to realize it, but I, I'm the person people come to, you know, family or friends or neighborhood volunteer stuff where they they need something fixed when it's written. And I just like doing that. I I almost can't resist fixing stuff. So I do I do stuff from scratch for people, but my favorite thing is when a company says, "Hey, can you rewrite whatever?" So that's that's my story. In fact, I, I have to say, I'm working on this huge website project now for that I got hired for through an ad agency or a marketing agency. Their client is the largest waste, liquid waste management firm in New England. I can't wait Sept- to read some of the humorous content there. Well, you know, it's funny. So it's septic tanks and stuff. And they wanted it to be funny. And they and it was already badly written. It was like, perfect. <laughs> Love it. And there, uh, I give them a lot of credit because uh, it's very bland. <laughs> stuff. Well, so, yeah, uh, and you know, uh, you could say it's bland stuff or it's really crappy stuff, you know? And like yeah, th- those I, are I, those are the opportunities that you have. <laughs> you know? I've tried to avoid that those those you know, we're number one and number two kind of jokes. <laughs> so he, anyway, he's more sophisticated than you, Greg. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. he's me, a professional yeah. copywriter humorist <laughs> and all that, you know. Uh but that that's that must be like so how do you uh well I mean, actually first question I have is around um you know, the idea of the email newsletter, like, is it, you know, is this still alive and kicking um, That's a from your perspective? Because I know what I think. I'd love to hear kind of where you're at and what you advise. Yeah, it's funny. It's um, it's no longer the big sexy thing. Like in 2006 or 2007, I mean, I couldn't pick up the phone fast enough. It was like social media today. People don't know why they want it. They just think they need it. Not to say that it's not useful, but... It's this, hey, you got to be involved. And that's the way newsletters were in you know, the mid-2000s, that people just said, oh, we need one. And especially, I find the larger the company, the less able they are to explain why they need it. Hmm. They just want to need to make sure they have it. So I think it's, it's not as uh, you know, shiny and sexy as it was, but 
I keep waiting for something to come along, particularly for small companies or solos and particularly for professionals, people who sell some type of commodity, like they're a recruiter or a financial planner or a consultant. I keep waiting to find something that's better than a newsletter, and I just really haven't. It's, it's to me, the perfect mix of relationship marketing, keeping you in front of people, expressing a personality and point of view, you know, scales infinitely and doesn't cost a lot of money. So it's like a great tool, but you don't hear as much about it uh, the way you did it at one point. And, and, and you know, and I, I, so yeah, I mean, I would completely align with that. I, we sent, and, and uh, one of your, uh, I was mentioning earlier, Kim Houlihan is a, you know, kind of a great follower of yours and, and would apply a lot of your stuff to the newsletter she creates for us, for my company, Vision Coaching. And um, we've been doing it since like, 2006, actually. I was just looking at that the other day. So, so right, right after the, the, the big <clears throat> hype of it was starting to go into See, I, a different I, direction. Yeah, that's me, man. I just went against <clears throat> the way. <laughs> but it's still relevant. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep well, going, and, and what I was going to say is that I can pretty confidently – uh, I mean, we, we've grown a, a database that is, uh, you know, always opting in, you know what I mean? So there's no one being spammed, right? So it's it's not massive, you know, for the amount of years, but I can say I always seem to pick up some new piece of business or someone is reminded, you know, very shortly after we send out a, a newsletter, we send out one once a month and uh, I've consistently done that for uh, whatever, nine years, I guess it would be. Um, so so I, I, and I, I'm pretty pretty you know i could probably nail down the roi on it um pretty easily so i'm a i'm a fan of it but i'm just wondering like are other people like what what would stop other people michael from from actually consistently you know using a newsletter and and then what do you recommend if for the people that are you know what what are the ways to make the most out of it two things one is time so a newsletter is like exercise it's really valuable and it's it's you know practically guaranteed to work, but not tomorrow. And so the, the fact that, you know, you're doing it for nine years, you have to build relationships. I mean, that takes a little bit of time. And so, so people like things to be instant. You, you, you can get a, If you start telemarketing, you can get a client theoretically today. You're not going to get that if you publish a newsletter. Um, although I would say that the person you get today from a cold person from telemarketing or even somebody who Googles you and finds you, is not the same quality of person, even if they hire you, as the person who's been reading your newsletter for a year and then calls you up. That person is not only pre-qualified, they already trust you. There's already some connection. That's why they've been reading it for a year. The guy who just Googles you and finds you could turn out to be good, but it's like a blind date. It's a complete roll of the dice. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is writing. So I'm happy that many people, most people hate writing or I would have no career. But that's the problem is that you have to, I mean, you could do it in video or audio, so people do that too, but you have to create content on a regular basis and that's also hard for people, but that's why people you know, outsource things. It's funny, I don't know why people assume they have to do it themselves. Like Most people are not doing I, their own taxes themselves, yeah. they hire someone. Yeah, isn't that? But I mean, that seems to me to be one of the biggest barriers. I would think is that yeah. like, oh, geez, where am I start and this and that, and they don't know. There's fabulous people like yourself and others out there that can that can that can support them. Um, but I guess that's good too. You know, if there was, I mean, there's a ton of content out there, but you know, as we all know, most of it's not really any good. If if it was all good, the tool wouldn't work so well because it would be really hard to stand out. 
I think that's part of why social media started to stand out because it's so short, it's really hard to differentiate between kind of who's good and who isn't. But with something that becomes longer format, once you hit, you know, three or 400 words, there's a big difference. And, and so I'm happy that the bar is low in general. <laughs> um, here's an interesting question. Today, just today, I just, you know, I, I got to that melting point where um, my brain is, I just got back from five days of vacation where I, I didn't touch my emails, right? And I've got yeah. about 150 emails a day uh, consistently for the last X amount of years. Uh, I feel a, a, a need to <clears throat> respond to all of them. Um, I want to in- ingest more. Um, like, for example, I, sus- I subscribe to Seth Godin's daily uh, e- emailer. Uh, which is yeah, phenomenal. Uh, and I'm super, a massive fan of Seth, and I give him time. I if I if I see his come in, it's short, sweet. I know I can invest the time to read it, and I will I will gain value out of that. So how do we? My company, for example, we're a, we're a film uh, production company, so we make a different type of content. But I do write a lot. But how? And we we're actually looking at jumping into into getting a newsletter going, you know, to, to position ourselves as thought leaders in a specific uh, niche of uh, film content production. But how do we stick out in the crowd, you know, in, in, in the realm of email marketing? Because there's so many people who are filling our inboxes who don't deserve our, our eyeball time, you know. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, a couple things. One is, you don't have to be the best newsletter writer on earth, just like you don't have to be the best film production company on earth because the people who you work with are a sort of subset of the universe. So if I'm trying to decide what to read or who to hire, it's not like I do this exhaustive search of, of the planet. That's why there can be many people who are attorneys and lawyers, and you know, it's like there's a lot of people and only we only interact with a portion of them. The second thing is, it's not about your technical understanding whether that, you know, technical meaning, whatever your area of expertise is. So whatever you already know about production or marketing or, you know, finance, if you're a financial planner, that's, that's kind of what's supposedly being delivered. And it is what's delivered in a newsletter, but the differentiator is actually the voice and the personality and the point of view. Because most people, when hiring a professional, but it's, it's true to some extent even when deciding where to buy, you know, your shoes. But certainly if people who are selling something that looks exactly the same as the competition, we don't know who's better. Like, you don't know how medically capable your own doctor is. Like, how, how would you tell? The reason you might like your doctor and I like mine, um, well, you like yours because it's free and I have to pay a lot living here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should but, mention you're, 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 you're from Massachusetts, right? You're in the United States. That's right. So the analogy may not work. But, but it's not about medical. It's about, oh, I like the way she interacts with me and her point of view and her personality. And, and so you've got, if you think of the clients you have who, like, love you, you know, you know those clients who, like, there's nothing you can do that they don't think is just genius and it's easy to work with them and it's great. It's really based on the way you guys interact with them. And so, to me, a newsletter, when done well, is an authentic representation of what you're actually like when you're working with that best client. And then people like that who read it think, ah, we like this guy. Or, just as important, think, I hate this guy. And so they never call you up because the difficult clients are not usually people who themselves are difficult. You just don't connect well with them. So it becomes this really good filter. 
which is why, to me, a newsletter, and actually, I think business writing in general, should be with, filled with real stuff, stories, of course, but, but personal stories, not just some story, you know, in general, but things you did, like you went on vacation for five days. I mean, all the stuff you do and talk about with friends and colleagues and clients that you're comfortable with, if you can put that into your newsletter, along with whatever technical business knowledge you're going to share, then it becomes compelling to people. And um, those are the people, you know, ultimately call you up and hire you. Well, and, and you know, Michael, it's funny because you're, you're describing – and Greg, I mean, this guy has a really big following, right? Um, he is a very authentic guy. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan. Most people are. Uh, I haven't really run across anyone that's not, by the way, Greg. I think and, I think there's been a few people who uh, uh, like to punch me in the face. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't run into. Them. And so, so I mean, you know what you're what you're saying, Michael, is so true. And I think, and I mean, it, sometimes is it not that people sometimes forget what they know and the the you know and how it might be unique in terms of their perspective and and sometimes lose sight of that when they kind of get stuck on content like does is there a certain yeah. amount of that happening in, from your perspective yeah I, I find that people assume they don't know enough you know that's one of the objections too of, of a newsletter is, is well is the writing overall but there's like what am i going to write about kind of thing because people are thinking if i'm a you know let's say i'm a, an attorney they're thinking, what do I know that kind of nobody else knows? And the problem is maybe one or two things, but certainly not ten, because all your competition knows the same thing. So if the bar you have to get over is original thought, you can't publish a newsletter because you don't have enough of it. But the audience for each of our newsletters is it's not our peers, you know, the other attorneys. It's people who know nothing about law or nothing about film production. So you know, you know, 10 lifetimes worth of information. The, the trick, if you will, is learning how to take what you know and sort of knock off a little piece of it. Because even something as simple as, now I'm just making this up because I don't know anything about film production, make sure the actor in the commercial drinks water before, you know, you start filming or whatever. That kind of on-the-ground insight, which to you, is obvious is a real like, oh, I never thought of that. Or, you know, you could write 50 newsletters on lighting. So you'll never run out of content, but people don't realize that it's at their fingertips because the content they want to write needs to be simple because it's not for an insider. In fact, I find this is a difficult thing. You know, I work with clients who, you know, may have some, some real technical knowledge, you know, financial planners or attorneys. It's, it's too complicated. And so part of my job is, is, is simplifying it so that the average reader can understand it without needing a law degree. Well, that's, it's really encouraging to hear you say this because specifically, selfishly, I should say, right now, Hemmings House, my company, we are looking at trying to figure out our, our strategy for um, a newsletter. Now, when I think, like I, I'm a, I blog on Medium, just my name, at Greg Hemmings, and um, it's interesting because all the different streams of content that we put out or I put out, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or our blog or our content channel, TV, like we've got so much different streams of content going. When I think about my personal brand um, and how I can tell stories in a newsletter that will potentially, not, not only 
lift ourselves into a position of thought leadership, but bring value to the people that I want to bring value to, free of charge, of course, and that maybe some of those people might become customers, uh, which is really, the, at the end of the day, the, the, the major driver is we want to increase our brand to a point where we can make some sales. Um, how much do you see the personal journey um, uh, you know, that, that personal story, kind of like what Dave alluded to earlier, being a, a good strategy. So, f- for example, our, our particular niche is filmmaking to, uh, to create positive social impact. So it's a niche of content marketing using film that brands can buy into that is going to leverage positive social change because of investments into certain film storytelling. That's such a niche, strange technical discussion. But if you follow my personal journey... Um, you might see what type of values the CEO of this company has, and then you might want to engage. And I'm, I'm, I want to ask you if, if I'm on the right track there, because sometimes I'm like, I'm too, I don't want to make it look like it's all about me and share my philosophies and all this. But in a way, it's what I know how to write about, <laughs> you know, the, right. the technical is second. But I don't know if that's the right strategy. Lo- love to hear your thought. Well, uh, there's certainly more than one way to do all this. I'm a big believer in the personal story, but but maybe not the same as what you're talking about in terms of the personal journey. So I kind my 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 belief is that people don't really care about your personal journey in the sense that I I used to feel this way and now I feel that way and you know blah blah blah. I think that starts to sound too much like hey what do I care I don't even know you. That's different though than a story. So if I say to you I was walking down the street yesterday and a guy opened the car door and pulled out a gun. And I stop there. That's really frustrating to you. You, you want to know what happened. And people are like wired that way. So it's about storytelling more than, you know, the, the other stuff about personal journey. So nearly every newsletter I write for myself and, and, and for many of my clients, because different people have different levels of comfort with that. I always start with something that has no, makes no sense at all relative to what you think I'm, the newsletter's about. So my newsletter's about mar- marketing. But I'll talk about my dog and how, and this is true, she'll, she has this old ball that she carries in her mouth and she picks it up and walks around the house clockwise. It's always clockwise. And she carries it around outside. This is, there's a, literally a path around her house. It looks like we're about to build a moat. <laughs> and that's sort of interesting. It's not like, you know, earth shattering, but if I can take that and then say, and that kind of reminds me of, again, now I'm just making this up, how businesses, you know, go around in circles because they don't know anything about social media or whatever. It's enough to kind of draw you in. Most companies just start with, let me tell you three things about how to do social media better. And that's okay. But again, the problem is everybody talking about social media has the same three or four things. I'm the only one on earth with the dog story. So... It's really about, can you take your personal life, observations, things that happened, and kind of weave them in and out of business things? And the interesting thing is, we all do this every day anyway. Like, when you came into the office today, everyone's like, how was vacation? What would you do? Like, you don't just sit down and say, start working. There's, even with people you don't know, if you meet somebody for coffee, there's always this kind of obligatory five or 10 minutes of how about the weather and did you see the hockey game and blah, blah, blah. But people tend to leave that out when they write because they feel like, well, it's not businessy. But I found that, especially if you're small or solo, certainly, 
it's like it's our competitive advantage because big companies can't really tell a story about their dog because it's too many, you know, too big. Well, and I, you know, it's interesting. And Greg, you, well, Michael, you you've already, you just kind of uh, basically described it. Um, what we've noticed when we look at you know open and click through and all that kind of stuff is, um, and I, I've struggled a little bit with the company brand versus my brand and all those sort of things. Yeah. Um, but what what we kind of came down to is you know like I mean one of the most the 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 the, the articles that are most shared most, you know, highly opened and read tend to have, are, are more of personal nature. Like, you know, I ran, I, and this is the one, the one that got the biggest, I think hit was when I, I ran a marathon and I described running a marathon and how that's like running a business, you know? Right. And, right. and I, and I had this picture of me almost dying at mile 22. I ran one marathon, Michael. I, I, I don't think I'll ever run yeah, another one. more than me. So. <laughs> it was, it was, but, but I mean, so, so that, you know, and so, and I keep on bringing up Kim Hulian here cause she's been a great uh, supporter of, of this for me, but just that reminder. And so that's why I was curious. I mean, cause I, you're kind of reluctant cause you're like, Jesus, I don't want to make it all about me, but it's not really about you. It's just something someone can relate to is the way I'm hearing. The other thing is we're, we're at the, we're at, we're kind of the tail end here. We, I mean, I could go on for uh, quite a bit cause I just think this is, I just think your content is so interesting. Um, really quickly, Michael, before we, before we uh, wrap up here, um, what about the idea of like connecting your email newsletter, you know, to a blog and to a social media strategy? I mean, is yeah. it, could it not be the foundation of that? Yeah, in fact, that's how I look at it, that you don't want to just, you know, again, 12, 13 years ago, you wrote your newsletter, pushed send, and that was it. But, and the problem, of course, was anyone who signed up a minute after that never saw it because there was no archiving and no social media. Now, I look at the newsletter as the base thing you create. But at this, but then posted on your website. Now it's a blog. Same content. It's just a blog now. All the social media tools draw people back to read it. Even people who subscribe to your newsletter, you know, certainly two thirds of them aren't reading it each time. But maybe they'll see it on LinkedIn or social media. I wrote a book six or seven years ago. It was 29 old newsletters. You know, slightly changed presentations are often newsletter content redone. So, but it, it all starts with you got to create content. Right. Right. And the nice thing about a newsletter, too, is because it has a schedule, it forces you to keep creating content. And then that content has so much, you know, so many legs to it with all this. I mean, social media is in some ways the best thing that ever happened to newsletters because now you get to reuse it in so many ways. And when you think of how many people on social media are just pointing to an article with a link and saying, hey, this is really good. Well, that's good, but even better is that you're the guy who wrote the article. Yeah. So it's it gives people something to 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 tweet about, which is good because people are out there thinking, "Oh, I got to tweet five times today." Well, if you create content, you become you help them, and they of course help you. So I, I agree. I think it's really helped a lot. One last question for you, Michael. <clears throat> uh, you know, I. I could write every day. I love writing. Um, what do you feel uh, an appropriate amount? Because I know Seth Godin, his his uh, suggestion is write every single day. Uh, that's his yeah. challenge to people. But as far as a newsletter is concerned, is weekly too much? Monthly too much? Too little? Uh, I think I think it, it totally varies on the audience and the topic. I mean, no one complains that the, geez, the newsletter newspaper came out again today. I can't believe it. They just published yesterday. Um, I think it has to... I think exercise is also a good um, uh, uh, parallel here. So 
the problem is people who are go- people try to go from nothing to you know to your, use your example running a marathon and you'll make it for like three weeks and then stop i think you really have to find a number it has to be monthly or more i'd say less than monthly and there's just too much noise out there it's not even you know you're just gonna get lost but whether it's monthly or twice a month or weekly i i start everybody a monthly whether it's an individual or a company and I'm even though sometimes people are really eager, and I always say, look, if you can do this without missing one for a year, we can go we can go more frequent. Um, and then of course your audience, you know, again, depending on what you're writing about, may have may find it overwhelming if you were to email them once a week. I, I, I publish my newsletter twice every other week, and it's funny how many people think I do it weekly, and many people think I do it monthly. Huh, good point. <laughs> but for me, that's like a good rhythm. And that, you know, it's the same thing. You've got to pick the exercise rhythm that you know you can sustain or else it's, you know, you'll lose it. Awesome. Well, so, and people can get, a, how can they get in touch with you? They can't, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do they read your newsletter? MichaelKatz.com. Katz is K-A-T-Z. And uh, that's where I am. That's where I'm at. Or, or K-A-T-Z in Canada for those uh, Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've got to tell you, you know, I'm a McGill grad. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. And not only are you partially Canadian, partially French-Canadian. Uh, I'm not partially French-Canadian. McGill, right? Yes, but uh, I was... Uh, <laughs> by education. Uh, in, my, in my four years there, I learned how to say things like no parking and push and pull on the doors. That was, and, some good, and some good curse words. But, that was it. but yeah, so I should remember Zed. I'm really... Wow, yeah, wee oui, 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 oui. right. um, Well, listen, hey, thanks so much, Michael. Really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom. And uh, I'm, my, my, I would love it if your bio talked about, you know, you being quoted on the Wall Street Journal, you know, in the Wall Street Journal and, and all these fabulous places you've been quoted and a the guest on point. The Boiling Point. So, but we'll... we'll, uh, well, we'll I don't we'll, want to make the Wall Street Journal guys feel bad. Well, they might, but that's okay. But, but right, great. Right. Okay. One last final question quickly. I mean, <clears throat> this isn't going to be posted for well, but the 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 Bruins, how are they going to do this year? Uh, see, now I'm going to really show that I'm not Canadian. I uh, I'm not a hockey fan. Oh, I love this guy. Greg this guy, Michael <laughs> Katz is my man. Fan. All right, hey do, hey, do you like the Grateful Dead? I, I do. Okay, there we go. Score All one right, for me. Sorry. Enough said. Sorry. All right, Michael. Well, that's no problem. Right, I'll, I'll lot, let you guys. know how the Bruins do. Thanks so much for being yeah. on. See ya. Talk soon. What a great guy. That was awesome. I, I just love that end oh, of that way. Um, so very, very quick takeaway for me. I literally, yeah, I need to kick myself into high gear because I've been wanting to do this and I've been writing a lot of blogs anyway. So my takeaway is I'm going to get into action and do it. Yeah, no, you, and you should. And you're just, it's natural for you, Greg. It's perfect. I got another question for you, Greg. You're trying to sneak off. You know what? We've been in the bowling point. We've been in the podcast booth for a while, drinking a lot of water. So I'll let- I, I have to excuse myself. Okay? <laughs> you have to go. So um, quick takeaway for me is uh, is just how you know as a reminder of how many ways you can use a newsletter and the content and repurpose and stuff. And and a big shout out to Kim Houlihan, who has been forcing you, me to do to to actually um, create content for how many years? Incredible. Greg, you go to the washroom. Folks, we will see you next week on The Boiling Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. 
And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and remember, keep that pot boiling. looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.